publish her podcast, episode 43. Well, hey, hey, everybody, excited to bring you back for this special interview. Um, We don't talk about editorial reviews a a lot, and it's something that actually should be discussed with self-publishing authors and and those being um, published by small indie presses, hybrid presses, self-publishing support, all of those early on in the process because there is a specific timeline that you need to implement when it comes to working with editorial reviewers. What are editorial reviewers, first of all? So those would be things like your Kirkus reviews, your Clarion reviews, Chanticleer reviews, reviews in the Washington Post or the San Francisco Chronicle or O Magazine, any of those places that are journalistic in nature. We're not talking about bookstagrammers, book bloggers, and and professional reviewers, if you want to call them that, because many of them do this as a profession. So we're looking at how you get the word about your book into places where people who are looking to learn about new books are finding them and looking for them. So Publishers Weekly, all of those types of things. So I brought in Casey Whitener because she is being published by Chrysalis Press, a small traditional press. And um, like with many indie authors, small press authors, or self-publishing authors, this is a piece of the puzzle that you often need to be the driving force behind. And again, there is a specific timeline to that. Casey has been really good at researching and digging into where and how to get your books into the hands of those types of reviewers. These things take time and research but if done and if done in the right timeline can be incredibly helpful to creating buzz about your book so i'm sure you're going to find this very informative she she shares how she went about this process some resources and tools that you can use the timeline expectations and all of those things i'm sure you are going to find this very very interesting I sure did, and um, I'm so grateful to Casey for coming on board and sharing her knowledge with us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book, hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Because I've been where you've been. Okay, welcome everybody. This is a topic that I am just super excited to dig into because it's one that we find that authors really struggle with, and that is finding not only just reviewers, but editorial reviewers, people who can review the book and really put it out in front of even a larger audience, talking about professional review sites, editorial reviewers in newspapers, magazines, websites that cater to um, really getting your book out in front of the world and all of those. My special guest today is Casey Whitener. She is the author of the book After December, a literary fiction set in the 1990s, very Gen X centric um, around a topic that is always relevant, um, healing from the aftermath of a suicide of a close friend, plus just complicated relationships between friends, between parents, between you and your departed friend, um, all of those types of things. And the second book to follow that 
uh, before Pittsburgh just released yesterday. And I invited Casey to speak on this topic because she's done a lot of sleuthing around to really dig into where to find your, your really, really key review sites and organizations and people. So thank you so much for being here to talk about this, Casey. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on the launch of an even better than your first book. Um, oh, so, thanks. so well written, so beautifully written, um, so descriptive. It's just fantastic. I'm really, I'm really pleased with it from, from the advanced reader copy that I have, which of course I have because I also published this book. So I'm slightly <laughs> biased. <laughs> well, you know, that's part of my goal is to make you proud that these books that come out are things that you can be proud of as my publisher and having taken a chance on after December. And then of course, COVID sort of tanked all the after December marketing efforts, right? We couldn't go out and about, I couldn't go to book clubs. I couldn't do, uh, you know, TV shows and podcasts and these kinds of things. And so uh, it really, before Pittsburgh becomes a rebound, if that's the right word for it, where <laughs> now we've had a new opportunity to open up that marketing process a little bit better and really get out in front of people and uh, share this story with them. And hopefully that also encourages them to buy after December and read that one first. Um, we run a bunch of promos for after December to try to get people on into Brian's world. He's the first person narrator. Uh, so hopefully that's going to be successful. Yes, and I am super proud. Um, it, the, these books have been really fun to work on, especially because I am from that era, mid 90s, you know, going off into college, being in that young 20s age range. Uh, one of the things that I loved about the book is how it transported me back to what life was like then, which especially technology wise is so significantly different. But, um, you know, we've also had another year and a half to learn a whole lot about this process and about how difficult it is actually to find people who will take your book and put it on their website or put it on, um, uh, you know, a review in a local newspaper or a magazine. So we're not necessarily talking about book bloggers here. We are actually talking about a different level of, of reviewers who are the professional reviewers and the ones with the opportunity to put your book in front of a large audience that you would not otherwise be able to tap without a bunch of um, money, basically, without putting a lot of money into, into marketing and all of us are on a budget. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. It's been interesting to me to figure out that like, first of all, book reviewers are and oftentimes operating as freelance writers. So most big newspapers, the Miami Herald, you know, the New York Times, most of them don't actually pay book reviewers anymore. It used to be that like your job, you could go and be a book reviewer. You would just read a book a week and put up a review every week, right? And this was your job and you got paid to do it. And that's very rare these days. Now what we have are book reviewers who are possibly also agents. They're possibly in publishing. Uh, they might be in, and book reviewing is kind of a side gig for them. And they are selling those reviews one-offs you know, to all kinds of different outlets. And so figuring out who these reviewers are and finding them and like stalking them and putting my book in front of them has been the challenge of the summer. Uh, there's a spectrum too between the paid reviews for like Kirkus and Chanticleer and some of these paid review sites versus the reviewers who for whatever reason they know you or they have a relationship with your publisher. And so they're going to review everything the publisher puts out. Uh, and so, 
in that case, you know, we, I kind of look at it like, how do we build up the Chrysalis Press publisher relationship with these reviewers and say, hey, everything Chrysalis publishes, we want these reviewers to give it a look and then put it, you know, somewhere out there like the New York Daily News or uh, the New York Review of Books and these kinds of things. So that's been a challenging marketing uh, journey this summer. Yeah. I would assume the bigger publishers probably already have that. They already have mm -hmm. those relationships. But to your point, a lot of that is being able to pay somebody, pay a publicist to do it. Yeah. And that's just not the case for a lot of indie press. For indie press, for indie, for self-publishing authors and for those who are with even medium to smaller houses or certainly hybrid presses, like there are just, so, there's just so much, um, th so much that the publisher relies on the author to do, but this is, this is uh, like you said, like normally with the big houses, you have a trained publicist who either has relationships with these people or at least knows where to start looking. So for indie authors, you know, there's quite a bit of digging around you have to do to one, first understand the importance of why you should be trying to get your book in these avenues and to the timeline. Because um, for example, we're gonna start big here. If you're looking to have your book reviewed by the New York Times, they've recommended um, a six month if you can or four month window prior to launch um, in order to have them review the book. So for many for many smaller authors, this window gets missed because they just don't even know by the time they go looking for it, it's too late. And to be real honest, the competitive level at New York Times is is just so high. You are competing with these big publishers who have relationships with them with bigger names, all of that kind of stuff. So for most indie authors, it, it makes a lot more sense to start with smaller organizations, smaller venues where you can still have a nice impact um, you know, and build up with, with next books, with all those types of things as you're building your audience to put it up there. But you have to know where to start and what to do. And you have to know that this is something that you should be doing to even start that process. So um, let's talk about why you decided to pursue this route and some of the places that you went to to find these types of places and reviewers. Yeah, so it's a couple of things. The, the first of it is that uh, contests are out there looking for these kinds of creds, right? They're mm -hmm. looking for this credentials. They want to know that you've been reviewed by these mainstream, you know, O Magazine and this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's a little bit uh, intimidating to go after a prize or want to submit for a prize and know that you don't have these editorial reviews to back it up. So it started there where I wanted to submit to a contest and the contest said that I had to include three editorial reviews. And I was like, oh my gosh, what counts as editorial reviews? Do my, my book bloggers, do they count as editorial reviews? Do bookstagrammers count? And the answer is no. Um, in that broad mainstream literary world with these big publishers, those, those people don't, they don't count. So what I was able to do was find a website called LitHub. Uh, it's just LitHub.com, I think. Maybe it's LitHub.org. Um, and they have a, uh, a subsidiary called Bookmarks. And Bookmarks is all of the reviews that uh, they post on their actual LitHub site. And Bookmarks uh, doesn't write the reviews themselves. What Bookmarks does is it trolls the internet for books that have appeared in multiple other places. 
So if your review shows up in the Nashville Review, the New York Observer, and O Magazine, then bookmarks will drag it into their site, right? If your book shows up in uh, People Magazine and Publishers Weekly and the rumpus, right? It'll drag it into their site. So you've got to get your review. You've got to get somebody that reviews for these locations to read your book and put your review on their site. The challenge, so the great thing is bookmarks actually gives you a whole list of all of the websites that they troll. And there's like a hundred of them, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is incredibly intimidating. And then each of those websites has their own way of doing things. So sometimes they have reviewers on staff. Sometimes the reviewers come to them with books that they wanna read. Uh, sometimes it's freelance reviewers that are offering up, hey, I've got this book review. They'll read the review before they ever even decide to post it. And you really just don't know unless you visit each and every one of these outlets to see what their rules are. And so that's what I started doing. I just started looking at them going, here we go, like from top to bottom, one page at a time. And some of them, they just weren't the right fit, right? But so some of them really were. One of them is the San Francisco Chronicle mm -hmm. and a good bit of Before Pittsburgh takes place in San Francisco. So I was like, all right, well, the readers for the San Francisco Chronicle live in San Francisco. This might be relevant to them. And in fact, their process is that you can upload your book to their website and they will take a look at it. You need 90 days ahead of time and they'll take a look at it. If you want it faster, right? So if you're you know, within a month of publication or you, your book has already been published, then you can pay them to take a look at it. You know, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to review it, but you can pay them. I think it's like $25 to sort of expedite that, that view, move yourself up in the queue. But because we had plenty of time, I was like, well, we'll just go the regular route with this and see what happens with the San Francisco Chronicle. So there's some places that are like that. Um, the Rumpus is another one that I found that was like that. And, and they're also really specific about whether or not they accept submissions from publishers mm -hmm. or whether they accept if the author can submit it themselves. And so that puts indie authors at another disadvantage as to whether or not you or publisher is willing to do that for you or whether you are self-published and and you you just don't qualify because they're not going to take it from you they have to take it from the publisher um, and so i was really lucky because chrysalis press does have a team that said give us the email information and, and we'll do it and so every day that i'm finding these i'm like hey <laughs> here's the rumpus here's how you submit and hey here's you know the pittsburgh post gazette here's how you submit and things like that and I haven't gone through the whole list, but that's been kind of my process is figuring out which of these um, might be willing to take a look at before Pittsburgh. Yeah, so a couple key things to recap on that. One, it takes time. So you yes. need to set aside time and no matter where you are in the process, even your six months, nine, you know, nine months out from, from publishing your book, it's a good idea to start dedicating 30 minutes to an hour every day finding these places, looking at what's relevant, looking at their submission process and making sure that you understand. Um, if you're working with a hybrid press or a small indie press or even a self-publishing assist company, then you want to make sure that you've looked at the key ones that you're submitting to and you want to make sure that you've created a, 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 a task for, you, you know, that you, you can drive the deadlines for hybrid presses and for um, uh, self-publishing assist companies, boutique publishers, all of those kinds of things. If you know far enough in advance, hey, I really need to be submitting my ARC to this company by this date and this date and this date, then they can speed the process up a little bit to make sure those are those things are happening. But if you wait until you know, too close in, then there's not going to be enough time to do all the things to get the book there. So that's important. And then um, two, just looking for the places that are that are going to be most interested in you 
like any other reason. So you don't want to, like any other marketing thing that you're doing, you don't want to submit to, if you're writing a children's book, you don't want to try to submit to a magazine that that um, focuses on contemporary fiction, for example, or, yeah, or, or like People Magazine. Concept. I mean, People right. Magazine is not going to do a review of a children's book because right. children don't read People Magazine, right? They're exactly. going to do things that are celebrity, that are splashy, that are a little bit more along the lines of pop culture stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So you went through, you, you, you gathered all of this data. Um, have you been receiving any responses? God, no. <laughs> so that's, that's the worst part about it, right? So there's this huge list here on, on LitHub and I'm going through and I'm finding, and I wouldn't, of course, you don't qualify for all of them, right? So I'm finding, my goal was to find it between 18 and 20 and then say, okay, of those 18 to 20, maybe I'll get two or three. That's the sales mentality in my head, right? Like 10%, I'm likely to get a 10%. Um, in the case of the San Francisco Chronicle, I feel really good about that one. Um, it looks very fair. It looks like, and I really think they're gonna want this book. And so I'm, I'm kind of already putting them in the win column because they have enough time, um, but they're not gonna respond to me until they actually decide they're gonna do it. So mm -hmm. I'm not waiting right now, right? And this process of actually querying these folks only started about two weeks ago. Once I was able to find them and, and put them in this list and start reaching out to them. Then the other, uh, because you and I talked a lot about bloggers, right? Mm -hmm. Finding book bloggers, uh, went out there and figured out which ones read books similar to mine, which is also kind of difficult because if I don't recognize the books on their list, I don't know if those books are similar to mine. Uh, and so I took a chance on about a dozen book bloggers that were not uh, on our original list from after December. So I have started hearing back from some of those, some of them and podcasters, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them are podcasters that say, we don't really have guests on our show, but we love the idea of your book. Send us the information and we'll be glad to promote it across our social channels. Mm -hmm. So that's great, right? Like now you're getting an endorsement without actually getting a review, but it doesn't help my Amazon editorial reviews <laughs> section, right. which right now is like stark and empty because there aren't any there. So some of it too is just creating those relationships and then hoping that the next time around, the next book will, you know, you'll have this person at San Francisco Chronicle that loves your work and wants you to send it to them directly, right? You just, we, what we need to do, we, you, me, Chrysalis, is get, you know, five or six of these big time reviewers in our pocket that right. want to read everything that we publish. And it just takes, it just takes time, but it's it a professional relationship that we are, that's worth pursuing and establishing. And just as a side note, because we were talking about the importance of time, um, this goes live on August 18th, the day after her book launch, but we're actually recording it much farther um, in advance. So if you're like, wait a minute, you just told me you need to do this a long time in advance. And now you're saying the day after launch day that you just started, I just wanted to put that out there. So people oh, are right. like, we actually started this <laughs> multiple months before launch. So <laughs> yes, so it was back in June. So the process began in June once the ARCs were available, right? Um, so June to August was two and a half months knowing that people would still be writing reviews into September because right. not all reviewers require that the book, that they review the book before it releases. Sometimes they'll review it you know, the month that within a month afterwards. So yeah. Another important note on that, um, not getting, not getting news back is that it's important for people to realize that one, they're getting hit up by a lot of people looking for them to review things or do things or submitting other things, you know? So, um, what we've found is that sometimes we don't even know that it's a yes until we we're notified that a review was posted right? right so that has happened to us a couple of times the other thing is that sometimes they trickle out 
months after we launched a book in December of 2020. And we're still getting emails back from people that we contacted in October and November that are like, I'm so sorry, I was so bogged down. Yes, I'm interested, send me what I need. So, um, you know, we've put in the effort, it's kind of like everything else for it to grow a beautiful garden, you have to plant the seeds, nurture the seeds, water the ground, all those kinds of things. And then it takes a while for you to actually see the plant. Yeah. So, um, but some Sometimes it just, they're just overwhelmed. They don't see it on that note. You know, it's good to follow up at least once or twice if you've never gotten a response, um, because some of them are getting so many messages that there's a chance that it just got in their email slush pile, right? They just yeah. didn't have a chance to deal with it then. So don't be afraid to reach out and, um, and follow up with many of them, especially, um, podcasters and, and those types of things. Um, and, and the big newspapers, there's a specific way to do that follow-up too. You want to go to your sent emails and find the original one that you emailed them and hit reply all so that they can see the original one below it. Because right. when they get that second inquiry, they're going to be looking for the first inquiry. And what you've done by hitting reply all is you've included that first inquiry again, so they don't have to look for it. They can see it. They can just scroll down and see it there. Um, and if you have to reattach a document, reattach the document, but you just want to make sure that you're giving uh, them the full conversation when you reach back out to them, because mm -hmm. reaching back out with a blank email that just says, Hey, did you get my email? Right. Right. You know, they have like no Excellent idea. point. Yeah. Excellent point. So there's a specific way to do that. Something else I want to mention, because before we we're talking about the reason I started doing this and there, there's two. So the first one was of course the contest and wanting to have those editorial reviews and needing those editorial reviews for the Amazon page and that kind of thing. But the other thing is that you and I've had some very frank conversations around the social media side and what actually leads to book sales. Yes. And there's a good amount of, I think, healthy discussion happening right now where platform building, digital platform building, digital engagement, uh, digital relationship and community building and all of that isn't necessarily transferring into book sales. Correct. And so identifying all of your avenues to reach potential readers and then leveraging all of those avenues, I think is a smart strategy. So one of the other things I did was write press releases, which I know there's like a whole debate around is the press release dead this and that and I just took a chance on the press releases and said hey these are my local uh, outlets so I sent it to like the local ABC affiliate NBC affiliate Fox affiliate right the local newspapers here the local uh, we've got a free times magazine right which is like at the local arts and entertainment newspaper here all of these local outlets is who I sent these localized press releases too. Hey, there's somebody who lives in Blythewood that's done this thing, right? You're the Blythewood paper, you're gonna wanna follow this. Um, and so I think we'll see, I haven't, again, those are the other things to, to follow back up on and say like, hey, I sent this to you a week ago, you know, what's going on? And hopefully by the time people are watching this in August, um, you know, I've been on every TV station in town. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the other great thing is even though you've written a, a a fiction book, your book has real ties to things that are happening in real world. I mean, it talks about suicide and depression and healing and recovery. These are themes that you can tie to something that if they're not interested in the fact that you 
published a book, then maybe they'd be interested in a topic related to your book. There's a mega scene that happens on September 11th. And, you know, it opens up, as we've talked about many times, like it opens up the opportunity to pitch newspapers and talk about how now that we're approaching the 20 year anniversary, how was Gen X impacted by September 11th? What did right. that do? And in, in, or, you know, how, how have we all been impacted by depression through COVID? And wow, if you've lost a friend to suicide, here's a book that could, you've gotten early reviews from people saying both on after December and on this one, talking about just how healing the book actually was. So it's a good story, but there's yeah. also elements of growth and healing through both books. Um, so there are lots of ways that if you're not getting a response to, hey, this local author has published a book, then you can certainly find themes that that, that are pulled from your book. It's much easier for nonfiction, obviously, but for fiction authors, there's almost always something in there that that is related to real life and pitch them you know, a topic that you could come on and talk about. And through the process, of course, you'll talk about your book and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's a, um, one of the things that's been, that, that sort of hit on mo most of the people that I've talked to is during COVID, there was this experience of isolation mm -hmm. and um, uh, people were very disoriented by that because we haven't had that kind of isolation since we've had technology, right? Since we've had social media, since we've had the ability to look at what people are doing all day, every day, right? This sort of over voyeuristic culture and people were, uh, who had never experienced what we experienced in the nineties, which is like email was the only way to get in touch with your friends. Right. If um, you even and, had that. <laughs> yeah. And even on September 11th, I mean, the phone lines were yeah, jammed. Oh you couldn't get in touch with anybody. People all over the country were trying to call them for hours. You couldn't mm -hmm. talk to anybody. And so uh, there, that's not the case now, right. Except with COVID, we experienced that you couldn't see people face to face. You couldn't, you know, look them in the eye. And I think that that disorientation, uh, people forgot that it used to be that way all the time. Yeah. That if you weren't, you know, if you weren't able to get on a plane and visit your friend, you might not talk to your friend for months, you know, maybe even years because that it, it was just that we were just that far distanced. So yeah. there's some of that too, like those themes of things that we just recently experienced that people are still trying to make sense of, you know, that's all of that's in before Pittsburgh as well. Yeah. Um, I want to hit back on another thing that you, that you mentioned in the process of finding all these reviewers and all of that kind of stuff and talk about, I get, I get asked a lot, why do we have to pay for reviews? Why do, why do we need to submit it so far in advance? So I just want to talk about that really quickly um, because it's important for people to know and understand too. One, um, most of the, some, not all, as Casey described, some people will review them at launch time or even months after launch time. But for the bigger editorial review sites and for a lot of um, more, more editorial true things like newspapers and things like that, they like to be the first one with the word, right? That's really journalists. They want to be the one who breaks the, the news on something, right? So if you're submitting a book to them and they don't have, first of all, they don't have time because they're getting so many submissions. They need the time to read it. They need the time to find somebody to write the article. There's the whole process of, of the editorial process on their end, all of those types of things. But some places don't want to share about a book that's now three, four, five months old. They want to have been the one who talked about the book before every 
everybody already knew about it because their goal is to get people to read. So, you know, um, there's that element. And then the payment part, again, goes back to it's their dedicated staff, their dedicated time um, that they have to put forth to doing these things. So if they're receiving hundreds of thousands of requests, um, you know, obviously, sometimes the people who are actually paying are usually going to get bumped to the front of the line. And it makes sense. It's it's a business that's their livelihood from that as well. So, you know, it's not because they're trying to punish indie authors. It's not because any of those things that is truly based on business and what they need to move their business forward as well. So just something to keep in mind to hear. A lot of people get really up in arms about that. Why do I have to pay? Why don't, you know, all the, why do, why, because especially because some traditional publishers, oh no, I'm sorry, all traditional publishers can submit to some of the larger places at no cost. And the reason is generally because they submit so far in advance and there's a lot of reasons behind it. But anyway, just a little side note on that. Yeah, but something something to add with that. So when we think about the like the Kirkus reviews, right? Um, the question, I think, the ethical question becomes: If I'm paying for the review, am I going to get an honest review? And um, you and are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so um, I guess the the value of the review is seen as well. Is the review being honest? If this this vendor has been paid to deliver this review. And for the most part in the industry, uh, the reputations of organizations like Kirkus are that these are going to be in plowshares, right? These are going Clarion, to be, right. yeah, uh, are going to be honest reviews of the work. And so then, you know, on the indie author side, if you've ponied up, you know, $300 to get this review and the review is awful, right? Then you think, oh no, like that I've wasted my money, right? It's not, uh, and, and I have this conversation with my students a lot about like gym memberships, right? Like you can pay for the membership all the time, but if you don't go into the gym, you're not actually going to get healthy, right? Mm -hmm. You don't actually do the work. You're not going to get healthy. It's the same way for these review sites. Just because you paid for it doesn't mean they're going to say nice things about you. And so you really got to make sure you're doing the work to write the good book. Um, But to your point about the bigger publishers, there are review outlets that won't review indie publishers and won't review uh, self-published work. And one of the, that was one of the challenges I had, you know, my, my friend Jonathan Haupt from the Pat Conroy Literary Center uh, wrote a blurb for both of my books. And um, he's just so kind and he just really liked the world, right? He's a Gen Xer like we are. And he was not able to write a review for the Post and Courier down in Charleston, despite the fact that I'm a South Carolina author, because the Post and Courier has a rule that they only write reviews for major major publishers, yeah. period. Like that's just how it is. And this other review is the same way. And so as much as Jonathan could have like reviewed it and put it on his own website, it wasn't going to get the traffic that it would have gotten in Post and Courier. And so there is still some bias. And, and that's just as an independent publisher and it, it, as what Chrysalis Press is, right? We just have to put up with that. Um, and at some point, like I said, find those eight to 10 reviewers who are going to love everything we publish um, and are willing to read everything we publish. Yeah. And I mean, this is probably not going to be a very popular statement, especially to all of our self-published authors in the in the crowd. But there's very good reason for them having a policy like that in place, because if they were to open it up to anyone, first of all, the submissions would be out of control. Um, there's over a million books being published a year right now through Amazon. And the reality is that a lot of times the work coming from self-published authors just doesn't meet the muster for 
you know, quality control covers aren't designed well. Um, it, it was published too soon, not not reviewed, not gone through a critique process, not revised well enough, not taken. You know, you can pretty much assume that if if you wrote your first book in under a year and went through the process of editing in under two months, um, it's probably and never had it critiqued, never went through any type of feedback or anything like that with actual re reviewers, not just beta readers that you were like, oh, this is my best friend and this is somebody I know and whatever, you know, but actual critique and revision um, let, because th those are just so important in getting the book to where it needs to be. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a very reasonable policy, even if it's frustrating to to even small, small presses. I mean, we're a traditional, your books are published traditionally. So it wasn't that it's a hybrid press or self-published or anything like that. We're just small and we don't have the trust factor built up yet for, for organizations like that. But it's really important to consider those things when you're trying to get editorial reviews. Is your book ready for editorial reviews? And while we have the chance, I don't want to get into a whole thing on critiques because you're, you are, and a couple other people are actually going to get into a big session on why it's important to work in a critique group, um, what types of things to do, what's not good, what is good, all those types of things in the Women in Publishing Summit this year. Right. But I do want to talk about like how long you worked on your first book before you felt like it was ready to go through publishing and, and you know, the, your whole critique process and your critique group and all that. Yeah. So after December, of course, was a very long process. I want to say the the novel that eventually became after December uh, was started when I was like in seventh grade. So I knew these characters very, very well, right? I'd written it a dozen times. I wrote it, the um, basic story of what happens in after December uh, came together in 1997, 98, wow. right? I dusted it off when I got into a writer's group in 2012. Um, it needed obviously to be rewritten from, 90, from my skill set in 97 <laughs> to my skill set in 2012. Um, so just piece by piece was rewriting the book and workshopped it from 2012 till about 2017. So for five years, I was bringing it in front of workshop members and had two really good um, trade partners that read 20 pages at a time and gave me feedback on that. Uh, Jody Kane Smith, who edited before Pittsburgh, she was instrumental in After December as well. And then ultimately, when you and I started talking about Chrysalis and uh, you wanting to launch this traditional label, and I said, well, let me query you first and see if you're willing to do this book. And um, we gave it to Jonathan Haupt and, and got a, 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 I felt like a definitive answer that this book was ready for publication, that yeah. he felt like that it was in really good shape and, and it was a good book. So yeah, it took, I would say from 2012 till 2019. So that's seven years for yeah. it to really get where, and even then when we got the proof copy back, I made a dozen changes on the proof copy, <laughs> you know, much to our layout and design team's chagrin where I was like, Hey, um, I use this particular word too many times. Can you replace it on these four pages with these particular words? And they're like, you're killing us. Casey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, it, you know, but now I pick it up and I don't see anything wrong with it. It's clean. It, it is, is really a very clean, clean. novel. And um and I'm that way about before Pittsburgh now too. I mean I read I read it through multiple times in the proof copy and and so that being that thorough, being that dedicated to it before Pittsburgh came along a little faster. Yeah, um, a lot was, faster. Two years as opposed to seven. <laughs> yeah, but, so yeah, but it, 
so before Pittsburgh also takes a lot of the stuff that after December didn't have a chance to address, right? Mm -hmm. And so that world was already there. Those stories were already there. They just needed to be packaged. And it did take a while to build out the scaffolding of that and like figure out how do I want to tell this story? And even honestly, I probably wouldn't have written it. It was just sort of catharsis for me to, to get all of the rest of Brian's journey on paper. But yeah. you said like, so what happened? <laughs> like, when's the next one? Like, when are we getting the next one? I was like, wait, what? There isn't a next one. Um, so yeah, so that was part of it too. And then we wanted it to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the September 11th um, tragedy because it does have that pivotal scene that takes place on September 11th. Yeah. So, I mean, don't be, don't be completely distra distraught here. If you're like, oh my gosh, I can't work on my book for another seven years. Like it doesn't always have to be that way. The other thing is genre is really important because we published it under literary fiction. Like the expectation is that it's going to be very clean, very descriptive, you know, writing. So there are some genres that obviously you can write a lot faster. If you're writing sweet and clean romance, like I see people doing those once a month, um, yeah. once they get in the rhythm, like almost every author I've talked to has said the first one took them at least a year, but then they get faster and they get faster and you just, you learn these tools. And we, we've talked about this before on multiple podcast episodes or someplace, the summit, wherever that like, writing is a muscle. It's, it's like a muscle. The more you, the more you strength train your writing muscle, the, the stronger it gets, the easier it gets. And next thing you know, your brain's bench pressing 300, you know, instead yeah. of starting up. So, so well, it is, it is practice. And that's true of this marketing side of it too, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, while for Before Pittsburgh, I'm going through and finding all these reviewers, I'm querying them individually, I'm asking them to take a chance on my book. I don't expect I'll have to do that the next time around. The ones that have read it and liked it and felt good about it, they're going to be more open to read the next one. You know, so it's it's also building that network and creating that audience. And it's just like the digital platform where you're finding readers a lot of times your digital platform will consist of maybe 20 to 30% other writers mm -hmm. that are interested in you, but you really want that digital platform to be at least 60 to 70% readers, uh, yeah. people that aren't doing what you do uh, so that they can really become just super fans for you. And I think the same is true of this net, the, the professional network that you have to build out where you've got people who are looking for, when's your next book coming? Let me go ahead and put it on my schedule because I want to make sure I get a chance to review it. You know, when is the art going to be available? and things like that. So you want to create those professional relationships with those freelance reviewers if you can. Yeah, absolutely. And we found the same thing on the bookstagram side through um, social media is that it took us a long time and lots of research to establish some relationships with some bookstagrammers. And now we have some people that consistently will take every book in certain genres from us because their experience with our first book was good. And, yeah. you know, um, so, so it just, it does, it just, uh, you know, it takes time to lay the foundation, whether you're talking about your writing, whether you're talking about your marketing, whether you're talking about creating those relationships, but once that hard work, that very hard work has been done, it all starts getting a little bit easier. Okay. So you mentioned um, lithub.com. Were there any other resources that you wanted to share that were instrumental in your searching and, and growth on this topic? 
Yeah, so there's a, a contests, right, or what led me to this. Um, mm. A lot of the things I do, and I've mentioned this in some of our previous conversations, when I read announcements about authors who are going to be presenting at one place or the other, because I do a lot of that too, where I give workshops and whatever, um, and drag the book along, right? So the workshop is not necessarily about After December, but I'll be able to promote After December in the workshop. So when I'm looking at places, libraries, or uh, literary centers, or writing conferences, things like that, where they'll show who these authors are. I read the author bio and find the names of the contests and I find the names of the literary journals that they've been published in. And then I go and query those, right? So I'm looking at who, if, if I want to present at the Pat Conroy Literary Center, they just had somebody who won the Willie Morris Award. What is the Willie Morris Award, right? Like, let me go see if I qualify for that. Uh, or they have somebody that won the Grover's Corner Award. And I'm like, what is Grover's Corner, right? Like, let me go apply for that. And so um, sometimes the awards require an entry fee. And so that can get a little pricey. You want to make sure you're entering award categories that you think you can actually win. National Indie Excellence is another one of those, right, where you'll pay to put your book in there, but it's likely that you'll get at least some kind of honorable mention. Mm -hmm. So um, the awards is, I go from the author bio, I find the awards, I find the literary journals they've been in, and then I go and put my work in the same place um, and try to earn those same kinds of creds. Um, and that that has been an effective strategy for me as well. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's important, you know, to note it to, to that strategy is gold because then you see, because the question I get asked a lot is are all book awards and book contests, and some are quite different um, on the awards versus contests, um, are they important? And I think when you can see the, the way you can, or which ones are better than others, or how do I know if this is going to benefit me or something like that. And I think that strategy of looking at what other authors are receiving and noting as notable in their in their bio, those are probably some good places to um, to check out. So that's a great tip. Yeah. Okay, so we launched your book yesterday um, for the launch of this podcast, at least we'll say. And um, you know, I am excited about this book. Can you let everybody know where you want to direct them to find information about you, about the book, about all those things? Yeah. So you can go to uh, either beforepittsburgh.com or caseywhitener.com. They redirect. So they're the same same website. And there'll be links there to be able to buy the book either directly from Chrysalis Press or through Amazon as well. And so the, the Kindle piece, the digital piece, right? All of that may be a little bit easier on that side. And then I've got a radio show called Right on SC and there's a YouTube channel associated with that. And I also have my own YouTube channel, which is just Casey Whitener. And that YouTube channel has some behind the scenes and the footage that I've done recently has been the book club questions. Mm -hmm. So there's book club questions in the back of Before Pittsburgh. And you see a video, it looks just like this. It's just me talking to the camera um, and giving my answers to some of those book club questions. So uh, that is a little bit of a reader's assist a reader's guide. So if you're not sure it's something that's in your wheelhouse, or uh, if you just want to hear more about it, if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll find those videos there. Wonderful. And what, what another great marketing opportunity too, answering your own questions and building that social proof through yet another social media platform. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, as always, you are just chock full of great information. I am very proud of you to answer Thank your you. question from the beginning. You, um, you know, I, I just want to say something here that's about Casey, but also applicable to all authors, no matter whether you're working with a publisher, hybrid, traditional, whatever it is, 
Like the reality is there's so many things to do to build an audience and growth. And if you put yourself in the mindset of, well, my publisher is going to handle all these things, or uh, then there's just not enough time. There's not enough budget to do all of them. It really is on you as the author to make these connections, to, um, to forge these relationships where you can, to find opportunities. And um, you've just been amazing at that. It's been wonderful working with you and seeing how much you've taken on your shoulders to learn on your own, to, to help us out by doing that. And, and, you know, importantly, like I can never be authentic. Casey. So, you know, you can, you can describe your book better. You can talk about the themes better. You can, you know, have conversations better. So it's it, as, as authors, like think about what, what it takes to really get people wanting to read your book. And a lot of that is just conversations with you about yeah. those things. So I'm proud of you for, for taking charge and for really leading the way on that. And yeah, it's just, it's been a great experience and I can't wait to see what the results are. I know I'm excited too. And these, both of these books, I'm very, very proud of them and feel so lucky that you took a chance on them and a chance on me. So thank you, Alexa. Well, you're very welcome. All right, everyone head on over to caseywhitener.com or before pittsburgh.com or wherever you like to buy your books, you'll be able to find it. We hope if you enjoyed that book, you will leave her a great review on, um, on both of the books actually. Um, and follow her on Amazon, follow her in all the places, but also go back and look at these places that she told you to go look. Uh, put together your research list, start working on it. Even if you've already published, you may still be able to find great places that are still willing to talk about and review your book and do the work because uh, having your book put in front of other people's large audiences is one of the best ways for you to grow new readers in a way that you'll never be able to grow fast enough on your own Instagram or other social media channels without putting a lot of money behind it. So, all right. Thank you so much. Get to work. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time. You can say-